apologies for the delay. We had some technical difficulties to iron out, but uh, we have a very special guest today. Uh, we're going to be talking about the impeachment trial uh, that's going on in Washington, D.C. Yes, the latest impeachment trial. You might have already forgotten about the first one uh, back in 2019 and 2020. Well, it's uh, happening again. And yes, the uh, uh, object of scorn uh, by the establishment in Washington, D.C. is again Donald Trump, uh, who's no longer president. Uh, and we'll get into to this. This is quite a quite a scene. We've also got some video clips as well and uh, some analysis to do uh, with a very special guest who's joining me uh, right now uh, on the live link. And his name is George uh, Samuele. And uh, he's uh, from the Global Policy Institute. George is joining us from uh, Budapest uh, in Hungary. And uh, George, uh, thank you for joining us at 21 Wire Live. Well, thank you for inviting me, Patrick. Good to be with you again. So we'll get we'll get cracking uh, on the subject at hand, George. Um, there's another impeachment hearing <laughs> and a trial in the Senate. Uh, it's like nothing anybody's ever seen uh, in history. Uh, certainly, this is breaking new ground for U.S. politics, uh, as if there weren't uh, any uh, any sacred cows left to uh, to slay. Uh, it seems like uh, we're in new territory here. I mean, George, how long has it been since the last impeachment trial? A lot of people, you know, it's it's they forgot it even happened. Uh, here we are again. What what are your initial thoughts on this? And then we'll get into breaking down what what happened yesterday and what we might expect uh, to see going forward. But go ahead. Well, it's an extraordinary thing because, as you say, it's almost exactly 12 months since the um, last impeachment trial. And they're going pretty much through the same routine, uh, namely the charges are completely uh, nebulous, uh, have no real bearing on what the Constitution actually says, uh, the kind of charges upon which you can act to remove um, a president. Uh, you know, namely uh, bribery, uh, treason, high crimes and misdemeanors. So just as uh, you know, a year ago, um, they, you know, they, they really had a, almost no real case against um, Trump. Uh, this time they're coming up with an even uh, weaker case. And unlike last year, they haven't even bothered to uh, gather evidence, uh, to collect witness testimony. Uh, they just simply rush through this uh, impeachment um, in the House of Representatives and dumped it uh, into the uh, hands of the Senate. And essentially, no one is expecting anything other than uh, pretty much a, a partisan vote, a party line vote. Every single Democrat will vote to uh, convict Trump, just like every single Democrat in the House voted to uh, impeach Trump. And, you know, something like maybe 5 to 10 percent of the uh, Republicans will go along uh, with the Democrats. But the extraordinary thing is that if you think about the history uh, of the United States, so uh, there was one impeachment in the first uh, 200 years of the uh, Republic, which is uh, the, the case of Andrew Johnson. And now uh, there have been essentially four uh, impeachments in uh, the last 50 years. I mean, I'm including Nixon because they went through the impeachment process, but uh, he resigned um, be before uh, it actually went um, uh, to the House. Um, but that's four in the last 50 years. So in other words, impeachment has now become 
a regular part of the political process. I mean, it wasn't supposed to be that. And for a very good reason. I mean, if, if you have a, a democratic republic, then the decision as to uh, who should be in office should be to up to the voters. They are the ones who uh, elect uh, leaders, and then they're the ones who can then oust uh, the leaders that they've elected. Um, but now we have a situation where um, that decision is being taken away from the voters and, uh, and its uh, institutions that can uh, decide as to who's uh, fit for office. Now, what's happening here is that since Trump is already no longer in office, then this is all being directed toward ensuring that he uh, never again uh, runs for office. Now, um, they, since they know that the votes are really not there, as, as it seems, like, you know, you can't always tell with the Republicans. They're a very weak, uh, pusillanimous lot. They're not like disciplined the way the Democrats are. They stick to, stick to their man through thick and thin. Republicans aren't like that. But we, we have to think that it, it doesn't look like the votes are there to convict. So what it's really about is a humiliation of Trump and above all a humiliation and an attack on Trump's supporters. It's to, to, to label them insurrectionists. They are the enemies of the people. They are uh, you know, against uh, the rule of law and order. Uh, they are the uh, white supremacists. They are the domestic terrorists. So it's really an attack against them in the hope that it would just demoralize them and that they never, never uh, support anybody like uh, Trump again. And so that's really now the goal here. And if you know, we'll, we'll talk about what happened uh, yesterday, but that was really what, what it was all about. It was in, in entirely an emotional appeal and it's to, in order to beat down uh, Trump's uh, supporters. And if you, if you listen to the commentary afterwards uh, on, on all the major networks, that's what they were commenting on was it was emotional. It was gripping, uh, talking yeah. about uh, Jamie Raskin's uh, presentation uh, there where he uh, even in, uh, I mean, who uh, my sympathy goes out to anybody who experiences a family tragedy, um, even the loss of Joe Biden's son, uh, Bo Biden and, and so forth. But in the case of Jamie Raskin, he was uh, apparently was in Washington, I believe, for a funeral. His children were there. He brought them to the Capitol. They had just buried one of his sons uh, who who died, took his life in suicide. Yes. Yes. I know that must be absolutely horrific. But, you know, I, I don't think it's, it's out of line to make the uh, observation that, you know, w w I would question why a politician would want to use their deceased yes. uh, family member as part of a political process, uh, it, it, you know, in a, in a demagoguery sense. I mean, I can't believe the, the lengths that people will go to in politics in order to drive their, uh, their point home in, yeah. in 2021. And, and so that was what, that was, that was the kind of great moment, uh, according to all the pundits on MSNBC, NBC, CBS, was this emotional uh, speech. It was moving, they said. Uh, it was, you know, and he said, we sent our last text messages. We said goodbye to our loved ones when the rioters came in to the Capitol, you know, like, like they're all going to die, basically. Like, but it was like a HBO film uh, the, yes. the, the the day after or the day before the America got nuked or something. I mean, the, the whole thing was just completely over the top. 
But this plays really well, George, yes. uh, with Democrats to their base. And so so we're just going to get more of it because the networks like it. Yes. And by the way, Trump plays to the networks too, at least he used to, to Fox and other networks. That's changed now. So, But the Democrats have a lot more to play too in terms of, of media. But what, what do you think about how this is framed uh, from the, the punditry side? And does that affect what actually is said on the floor of the, uh, of the Senate? Um, well, I think you're absolutely right. This is the most shameless demagoguery imaginable because, yes, um, it is tragic uh, to lose um, a son. And no question, everyone has sympathy for uh, a bereaved uh, parent. Um, on the other hand, there is something really, you know, I, 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 despicable may be too strong a word, but something really uh, unpleasant uh, about somebody exploiting a personal tragedy for a partisan political end. I mean, it's just it's just not something that you do. I mean, you know, you you know, you, you suffer a loss, you you don't talk about it. That that's the way it used to be. Um, you know, according to the, the norms uh, that pre once prevailed in the United States. But this is really how the Democrats are playing it. I mean, we, you know, it's, it's not too dissimilar from what um, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez uh, has been playing with her constant um, refrain that she uh, was close to dying on January the 6th. And then she escalated that to attacking uh, Senator Ted Cruz of wanting to have her murdered. I mean, these are absolutely shameless uh, demagogic um, uh, attacks, um, but the media love to uh, continue to uh, regurgitate them. And what's also interesting uh, when we talk about this demagoguery is, for instance, the um, the, the dead, apparently dead, uh, Capitol Hill uh, police officer, I think Brian Sicknick, um, who the media uh, hyped up the death was, oh, he was beaten to death by um, a fire extinguisher. And now, I mean, as, as the story is you know, goes on, we're finding out more and more, and we're finding out that really he, he suffered no um, blunt force trauma um, and even the timeline that has been presented as to his death has great holes in it. You know, we really don't know, um, you know, how he died. But the media have nonetheless used it. And, and, and in fact, the impeachment uh, memorandum uh, written by the Democrats brought up the case of the death of Sicknick. So, so somehow these rioters, the Trump insurrectionists, beat a police officer to death with a fire extinguisher. Um, and now, you know, we, we're sort of finding out, well, where's the autopsy report? Where's the medical examiner's report? Uh, um, and, you know, we, we now have, we've had 200 people who have been arrested because of their involvement uh, on the events of January 6th. And yet the investigation as to the people who actually beat this uh, police officer to death seems to be going nowhere. No one has been arrested on this. You know, there are there, we, we've seen no uh, naming of suspects, no pictures of suspects. We haven't seen the uh, any, any kind of uh, close uh, camera uh, footage of the beating of this uh, uh, police officer. So we don't know. We really don't know what happened to him. Uh, but nonetheless, 
this has been exploited because this is well look at this trump mob you know they 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 beat a police police officer to death well where's the evidence for this um and in fact again when when they talk about the five people who died uh during uh the riot there's always this five people well the only person that we know uh definitely died you know as a result of the what happened on january the 6th uh was this a young woman who was shot by we don't know we don't know by whom whether this was a capitol hill police officer whether he was secret service all we see you know in what we've seen on the footage is that there was somebody shooting to kill at close range um um but he the, the person hasn't been named and we don't know you know what what his role was uh, but that's one person we know who was killed uh, as, as a result of the riot. The the other three, again, it's always left a little mysterious, you know, how they died. You know, there have been stories that they were trampled to death, uh, they had a heart attack, uh, whatever. And then, of course, we have the case of uh, Sicknick, who, you know, they had him lying in state, but we simply don't know enough about um, what happened. The point is that you, this to, to exploit a death in this way is, again, shameless demagoguery, and particularly as the family of Sicknick have asked that his death not be exploited politically. So, again, you see how the Democrats play this and how the media are always happy uh, to, uh, to, to run with the uh, story, even as Trump is supposed to be this uh, terrible demagogue. Uh, but you know he, he you know he, he can't, doesn't carry a torch to compare to what what the others are doing. It's almost like there's not enough there materially, George, uh, to, to 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 make a kind of uh, legal case. So you have to throw in all of the various tertiary deaths, and they keep right. repeating: five sure. people lost their life, five yeah. people lost their life. This gets repeated every time. But when you break that down, right. uh, it's it's one of the people. Uh, was a protester who was right. shot uh, and killed unarmed, uh, yep. shot in the in the head or yep. in the neck by one of uh, Mike Pence's right. uh, Secret Service detail. Uh, w- was she posing a direct threat to Mike Pence or anybody in, in in Congress in the building at the time? Nobody's talking about that. There's no call for any inquest or right. inquiry into that. So right. th- everything is partisan to right. an extreme degree. So, first of all, like just looking here, you'll see some footage uh, here, George, from 2019 of the first impeachment that happened, and so that turned into kind of a, 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 a an opportunity to an exhibitionist partisan opportunity to kind of bash Donald Trump, and they were very aggressive. All the witnesses. This is Jonathan Turley. He was actually defending uh, Trump here, or defending the constitutional process here but you you'll see other faces here george like fiona hill uh and some of these other professors and legal experts that came in and it was really kind of an indictment on uh trump uh, trump's personality i think uh and there wasn't much there in terms of of actual evidence but they had endless amount of witnesses have come in george so do do you think this scene that we saw in 2019 is this a repeat of what we're going to see uh, in the next few days? Are they going to bring in lots of, uh, quote, witnesses, academics, people to say uh, what a horrible, horrible thing that happened on January 16th? Are they going to bring in the children of 
congressman. I don't, I, what, what are you expecting to see? Uh, well, I, I, I actually don't think they're going to have any. I mean, this was still at the this was still at the time of the um, House of Representatives impeachment process when they had these witnesses. There were no witnesses at the trial. There were only the um, uh, counsel on both sides who were presenting uh, their case. So this part of the process has already been and done. They had no um, witnesses at all. They just rushed through an impeachment resolution uh, in which, and uh, you know, they, they just, you know, basically we had all the congressmen making political speeches, you know, not in any way legal findings of any sort. Um, so now it's in the well of the Senate. Uh, it doesn't look like anybody is in the mood to call witnesses because, of course, if Schumer, uh, the, the Senate majority leader, if he were to demand witnesses, then, of course, um, the, uh, the defense would demand witnesses as well. And that's where it might get a little bit tricky because then they were going to start bringing up uh, issues like, well, what were all, all these uh, politicians saying last summer uh, other than an encouragement to violence? And I think that would almost certainly be said, well, you know, you're sitting here judging uh, Trump, but look at all the things that you were saying. And, you know, and they'd have Maxine Waters, um, you know, saying, you know, we've got to get in their face, you know, we've got to, wherever they are in the restaurants, in the, in the supermarkets, you know, we've got to accost them. I mean, that's a, an explicit a call for violence as, as you can get. Um, and, uh, and, and then, you know, there'll be others about, you know, Kamala Harris, uh, you know, who's uh, egging this on. Um, so I think that's going to come up. And then, again, if they want to address the issue of, well, was Trump slow in calling in uh, the National Guard? Well, that, that's going to be very tricky because they might then turn around and say, well, you know, it was up to Nancy Pelosi. You know, somebody had asked Nancy Pelosi as to call in the National Guard, yet she didn't. Uh, and then, and then, of course, the you know the 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 big the big question will be um, how much did the FBI know ahead of time that there was going to be trouble on January the sixth? I mean, you know, we we know all of this that they there was already anticipation of uh, trouble. In which case, why why was the police presence so negligible? I mean, if I, if I, that that is an issue that should be addressed, which is what five hundred thousand people descend on on Washington D.C. and there is no extra police presence. I mean, that that, that is bizarre. Uh, so that's kind of thing that will 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 come up. Uh, not to mention all, all the you know the timeline, which is here we have um, uh, the 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 first incursions into the building was taking place while Trump was still speaking. So there, there will be witnesses called uh, who will say, yeah, this was the first time, you know, that, that anybody actually breached the building and Trump was only halfway through his uh, speech at that time. Uh, or, you know, yeah, yeah, I, I, I mentioned to Nancy Pelosi that there would be a problem about and that we should call in the National Guard and she rejected that proposal. So uh, I, I don't think the Democrats want to go down this path. So I think that there's just going to be the presentation of the prosecution case, the defense uh, presented case, and, and then there'll be just the, the up or down vote. Um, but, but as I said, I mean, you know, the Republicans are a 
very cowardly lot. And I, I can quite imagine that a few of them will go over to the Democrats. We saw yesterday one Republican, um, again, a sort of a, a, a right-wing Republican, I assume. I mean, he's a senator from Louisiana, uh, Cassidy, who was suddenly persuaded by uh, the Democrats' case. He had voted the other way uh, when Rand Paul had uh, uh wanted his vote on, on the motion, this is um, uh, an impeachment is unconstitutional. So now he seems to have switched his vote. Uh, and so again, you can always count on some Republicans would switch their vote. I just don't think at this stage that there are enough um, Republicans who would have to come over because they, you'd have to have um, 17 of them to, to go over. At the moment, look, they've got six have gone over. So they need to find another 11 Republicans to go over to the Democrats. I mean, I can see them finding another two or three. I can't see them finding 11. But, yeah, you know, I, stranger things have happened, so I, can't, I can't, can't rule it out altogether. Yeah, and just l looking at the events uh, on, on January 6th, George, do you think, I mean, this is a hypothetical question, but it's actually, I don't like hypotheticals, but this might be an interesting hypothetical, actually. Do you think, if even if Donald Trump did not give that speech at the ellipse on January 16th, the so-called incitement speech that the Democrats are uh, accusing him of. Do you think then if he didn't give that speech at that time, on that day, that, that and if this, this demonstration went ahead in the way that it did uh, at Capitol Hill, would they be impeaching him anyway? That's my question to you. Is, is Very good question. Um, I would say yes, they would be because they will say, but that Trump had egged this crowd on by uh, continually refusing to accept uh, the election result. So by 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 continually challenging this election, uh, he he was basically whipping up, and that's part of the uh, the Democrats' memorandum that that Trump has sort of been whipping up this fervor among his supporters. Uh, because he has refused to uh, accept, uh, you know, something that is clearly scientifically incontrovertible that Biden won the uh, election. So yeah, I, you know, the, I I think they would be. The, the Democrats really are very uh, nervous. I mean, they're very nervous. Obviously, that Trump uh, could come back, and even if he doesn't himself run in 2024, then some Trumpian-like figure, maybe his son, Donald Trump Jr., um, would run uh, in 2024. And they do feel very vulnerable um, for, in all sorts of ways that we can get into. I mean, they, it, they have a very weak, uh, ineffectual uh, president. They're pushing a very unpopular agenda, a very kind of woke, uh, doctrinaire, politically correct, uh, a gen uh, to a, a kind of another populist challenge in 2024, much as the sort of Obama and Clinton were in 2016. And I think that they want to prevent this. And, the, you know, how do you prevent it? Well, I think you beat down the populist movement. I mean, you know, the, you know to say that anytime anyone comes along with a kind of with a with a populist message, um, you, you're going to suffer the consequences. You know, you, we will impeach you and then we'll impeach you again and we'll impeach you again. Um, so I think that it's, it's, it's something that is absolutely essential 
to the Democrats and how they intend to uh, hold on to power. I mean, in other words, they just say, you challenge us, you beat us in, in an election, and we're just going to make you know life impossible for you. You know, we, we, we can just keep keep having impeachment every other day. Uh, and I think and I think that's that's the message that, that they want to get out. OK, uh, we're going to take a very brief uh, uh, live break here and we'll be back uh, in just a minute uh, with our guest, uh, George Samuele, uh here at uh, 21 Wire Live. So just stay right there and uh, we'll see you in just a minute. Welcome back to 21 Wire Live. Thank you for rejoining us here. I'm with my guest, uh, George Samuele from the Global Policy Institute. And uh, George, before the break, uh, we're talking about well, breaking down uh, what we might you know, expect in the uh, impeachment uh, trial that's coming on uh, in the Senate right now. And um, in a, a lot of this is also very much precedent. And, uh, you know, when we look at, at the events, I mean, you can see here congressmen in their gas masks. It was all very... Uh, dramatic. And the word insurrection was used. And it seems to me, George, like the entire proceedings are hanging on that word. Uh, mm-hmm. And so my my, uh, my big concern, and of course, the, the concern of everybody should be uh, this hyperbo- hy- the hyperbole, the hyperbolic terms like sedition, like insurrection. Does this, what we're seeing here, qualify as insurrection or is this a riot? Is this a, a protest gone awry with you know a few people clashing with police police then were throwing by the way flash grenades and tear gas and that's when things started getting according to this vice reporter here we're looking at uh, some footage from vice news and also yep. from nbc and cbs and you know that's when things started getting uh, aggressive and the push and pull started so uh, if if you're if you're going to call this insurrection and quote sedition i mean they weren't going to reverse the results of the election. Right. Uh, right. In fact, what was going on there was uh, senators and congressmen were pushing for a 10-day uh, right. investigation to audit yes. the votes in these yep. key swing states. So, exactly. I mean, if this is allowed to go ahead and if it's successful, uh, it's already successful in media terms. This, this, The use of this term has now been adopted almost universally. Even Republicans are using this term. Um, what does that say about speech as well? Because if you allow hyperbole to overtake uh, reality, as it were, then any any speech at a political rally could be insurrectionist going okay. forward. What what are your okay. thoughts on how this whole side of things is shaping up? Well, this is absolutely right because, of course, um, if it were an insurrection, then uh, you would see people with guns. You would see some attempt at uh, a, a seizure of power. Um, and we saw none of that. Uh, and, and in fact, uh, the, the net effect of this, uh, these events was the, um, essentially the cancellation of what uh, Trump was trying to achieve. I mean, what Trump wanted to achieve, as he said, was this delay so that it could be sent back. I mean, remember, what had happened was that a number of state legislatures um, had... Uh, protested 
what the, the governors of their state had done, that the governors of their states had certified the election and the state legislature was saying, no, uh, that, is, that was incorrectly done. And so what the, the objective was that it would be sent back to the state so they would actually, you know, be 10 days, they would actually sort this out as to um, who's right, the, the governor or the state legislature as to the election outcomes in, in those states. But the net effect of what happened was that this entire process was uh, canceled. And so it would, would be very strange for uh, Trump to interrupt a process that was actually a, a, the goal of which was to, uh, to get this um, uh, sent back to the states. I mean, it, it made no sense for him to try to interrupt this, you know, be, which is what, what happened. And so the whole, that whole issue of let's send it back to those uh, states that were challenging the certification, that, you know, that, that just disappeared as a result of this. So, it, it, again, it, it would seem very strange for there to be a kind of an attempt to uh, disrupt the, a very process that was uh, working uh, toward uh, Trump's uh, advantage. And so that's why it, it makes no sense. And then if you look at the footage itself, as you say, it's much closer to say it was a protest that went awry. Now, it may be because the police had used excessive force or used it foolishly or whatever, um, but it, it was a protest. And then in other cases, you know, we've also seen footage of the police letting people in. So there were a lot, many people who were entering the building but we're very confused about what was going on. You know, were they supposed to be in the building? Weren't they supposed to be in the building? And then they kind of, you know, wandered around the building uh, taking selfies. You know, if, if we then look at it and, and say, um, you know, what, what was damaged? I mean, was, it, was, was anything damaged uh, in the building? No. All those beautiful paintings and all those sculptures, no one did any damage to anything like that. Uh, at most, it looks like, you know, a few windows were broken. Um, the exact circumstances of why why that happened, why those windows were broken, you know, that, you know, no one's really investigated this, and no one seems to want to conduct a thorough investigation of those events. And again, which makes the impeachment so uh, cynical and, and and ridiculous, is that you'd have thought, well, the impeachment should come after there has been an investigation. So, you know, you, you know, you, you hire whatever agencies or, you know, you could have a, uh, a panel of distinguished people look into the events of uh, January the 6th and, you know, then they can report back and say, you know, determine, you know, what role, if any, Trump himself played on it. Then uh, you can go ahead and impeach. And the time factor isn't really important here because, since the, the Democrats are in any case going ahead with an impeachment after Trump has left office, so it wouldn't really matter that uh, you know this you know this panel investigating the events of January the sixth would report back in March, because according to the, the Democrats' theory, you can impeach a president at any time, you know, long after he's left office. So therefore, there shouldn't have been any problem about delaying and say, okay, well let's uh, let's find out what actually happened. And then uh, we'll move ahead uh, to impeach. But that's not what they did. I mean, they said, they said, well, let, let's move right away because, of course, they wanted to make their political point right away and to, uh, to discredit Trump and his supporters right away because, of course, 
the alternative would be that people would start paying attention to uh, uh, Biden and the, what the Biden administration is doing, which is uh, uh, issuing a whole bunch of executive orders, uh, again, made questionable in its legality, but also very questionable in its popularity. I mean, you know, we talk about, you know, the Keystone Pipeline, obviously, they, they, this is these are working class bread and butter issues there. But then you've got, you know, essentially you know, end, the end of any kind of immigration enforcement. Again, very unpopular things, very divisive things. So, you know, but instead of addressing that, we're, we're all still talking about Trump. So it serves kind of a, a double purpose. It discredits uh, Trump, Trumpians, the Trump supporters, and helps uh, deflect attention uh, from uh, the Biden administration. It almost seems, George, and I'm making a, 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 a almost a joke here, but I'm actually dead serious, that uh, without Donald Trump, there is a danger for uh, the major networks like CNN, MSC. The, their ratings are going to yep. basically flatline again yep. uh, like right. they have been. So is this, this in a way, this is like one last sort of dash uh, in the to, to grab some, some ratings and remain relevant. And then they have to go back to uh, pretending uh, to be fourth estate uh, during right. the Biden administration, I, almost like it's they're they're addicted to Trump. Um, right. Really, they've they, they haven't been able to function without him. Um, it's given them a raison d'être. It's given them right. a purpose. It's allowed uh, a journalist like Jim Acosta at CNN to to grandstand and, and pretend right. he's Edward Morrow uh, right. just because he's standing up and wagging his finger at a White House press conference, but not really right. saying too much. But right. let, let's get to the what, what happened last night, the, the, the beginning of this, uh, this uh, Senate impeachment uh, trial. And uh, we saw, uh, again, we talked about the uh, emotive arguments here. Uh, there's Lester Holt there from NBC. Uh, uh, I don't really want to get into critiquing him, but um, they, they've come up with a straw man argument, George, and it, it's, it's cascaded through the media. And uh, it's called the January exception. Um, I, so right. the January exception is that we can't allow this president to do what he wants or any president uh, in the final waning moments of right. their administration. Uh, they cannot be allowed to have a, quote, January ex uh, exception um, and then get away with it and leave office without having to pay uh, any price, a political price, I might add, uh, for for the actions they've done there. That's the that's one of their central uh, points that they're hanging the rhetoric on. Um, but in a way, it's a kind of a straw man argument, and I, I don't see how that's defensible. The the real argument really should be whether legally the president's words or that he spoke at the speech at the ellipse uh, qualifies. As incitement, that would be the evidentiary right. point, wouldn't it? Right. Um, right. Instead, right. we're getting all of this other stuff. But uh, yeah, you know, no, I, that's right. It, uh, you raise a very good point. Unfortunately, uh, the Republicans opened themselves up to this line of attack uh, because you know, their defense is so cowardly. Oh, oh, it's unconstitutional because uh, he's already left office. So let's let's just end it now. Uh, why waste time on something? He's not in office anymore. Uh, let's just move on uh, and let's unify the country. Well, that's a very weak argument. And of course, the Democrats were going to come back and say, well, you know, you know, that means what? You have this, as you said, January exception. You can do what you like. 
uh, because uh, you know there there are no uh, consequences for your actions. So rather than uh, address the the obvious issue, which is that nothing that Trump said can count as incitement, that uh, there is it's enshrined in the Constitution the right of assembly. Uh, you can you know there's a right to protest. Uh, that uh, you know there's uh, you know free speech uh, applies to everybody, including the president. As we know from this uh, Brandenburg versus Ohio case, the famous free speech case that the Supreme Court adjudicated in 1969, which is that you, know, you can say whatever you like um, unless uh, there is an imminent threat of violence and that you intend that, that, that your words should lead to violence. So there are two ingredients. You should intend that this the, the violence and that there is an imminent threat of violence. Now, none of those uh, cases uh, apply to Trump. So, um, and as for protesting what uh, the senators and congressmen are doing, well, again, there's a right to protest. I mean, the, the whole idea that the, uh, that the public should just simply accept, oh, well, this is the, uh, the legal constitutional process and we must not in any way stand in the way of it and we, we can't possibly go and protest uh, what uh, you know, Congress is doing. It's absurd. And you know, and the Democrats themselves don't you know adhere to that. I mean, we you know we saw the, they were encouraging the protests against um, uh, the, the Justice Kavanaugh. Well, he was you know he was justice now, but uh, the, the nomination of Kavanaugh. They entered the building. I mean, and, and everyone and the the Democrats were encouraging them to invade the building. And why? And when that crowd invaded the building, they were accosting uh, the uh, the various senators and so on. Uh, whereas in this case, the, the rioters, I don't think any rioter actually even came close to any elected official. So, you know, that's part of, you know, the democratic process. There is a right to protest. There's no right to violence, but uh, there is a right to protest. So for the Democrats to start suggesting there is that the Trump uh, was doing something illegitimate because he was encouraging protests. Well, no. I mean, there, there, there is a, a right to protest. And if, if the measure is going to be, well, because there's a, a, a slight danger of violence, uh, whenever there's a protest, then essentially the First Amendment means nothing whatsoever. So that should have been the, the Republicans' argument. Instead, they adopted the, the cowardly argument, which is, well, he's, he's not in office anymore, uh, so uh, let's not waste our time on this. Uh, let's really get on with a, with a really important business of the nation and uh, don't, don't make life hard for us and let's really unify. Well, of course, it's a, a losing argument because the Democrats have no interest in unifying. In fact, divisiveness is largely how they intend to uh, hold on to power. Um, and, uh, and, you know, so it clearly isn't interesting. And the divisiveness, which is, and it's, and it's quite a clever strategy. I mean, they want to divide the Republicans and they're playing on the Republican divisions precisely because they don't want the united opposition. So they, they, they've been quite clever in splitting off the Republican establishment types from the Trumpians. Uh, and, and, and so, so it's very much in their interest to maintain the divisiveness and because it, it throws their opponents uh, off balance. 
and it gets them fighting against one another. So, you know, for Kevin McCarthy to make these pathetic pleas, well, the time for, is now for unity. And didn't President Biden uh, promise unity? I mean, you know, McCarthy thinks this is a clever argument. He just says pathetic. I mean, and the Democrats will just go right at him. Uh, and deservedly, I mean, you know, if you're if you're making a cowardly argument, then you know people are going to come at you. I, I, this is one of the uh, Achilles heels, uh, constant Achilles heels of of conservatives and Republicans, and even some of the Republicans are starting to wake up to this. You're hearing Matt Gates, for instance, Congressman Matt Gates was saying the Democrats are playing hardball. We need to play hardball, otherwise they're going to steamroll us. And it okay. seems it's, it's it's quite an effective strategy by the Democrats, whether you uh, agree with them or not. Right. They're basically flooding the field with hyperbolic statements, images, edited videos, crazy claims, uh, pretending that they're all basically, you know, on the front line of uh, a war zone or like Hillary Clinton, you know, riding, arriving in Sarajevo under sniper fire. Right, right. Uh, they're all putting right. their lives at risk by doing right. the business of yes. the people and that these these uh, savages desecrated the hollow ground of our democracy, right. Uh, right. our beloved uh, Congress <laughs> and so forth. And it was, they're really laying it on thick. Uh, right. George, what I think is interesting is how the Democrats have suddenly discovered the Constitution, right. and they're really invoking constitutionality. And this right. president is is has basically the the grounds for the impeachment. One of the grounds, there's about ten of them that they've thrown at there. It's like an Italian chef throw the <laughs> pasta at the wall, and when it sticks, <laughs> it's ready. <Right. laughs> they're saying that he he violated his oath of office. Everybody takes an oath of office. Uh, in the U.S. government, and if you violate your oath of office, so apparently Trump, by uh, inciting uh, a mob, uh, an insurrection, uh, that he is uh, violating his oath of office. But but uh, it's it's quite a shallow, thin argument uh, when put to uh, any scrutiny or interrogated, uh, which uh, which uh, the Trump's legal defense team did uh, last night, not very effectively, not in the court of public opinion, but they did uh, bring those issues up. But what's interesting is you could very easily say, and it seems to me like the First Amendment is also on trial here with mm -hmm. this. And that's a very dangerous, which you've said uh, a little right. bit earlier. Uh, right. That's a, a fundamental constitutional argument. Right. So what's what's going on here, George? Because it seems like there's, uh, the, there, there's one constitution uh, for the people, and there's another for the government. Right. Uh, and how they're uh, interpreting the, the U.S. Constitution uh, through the lens of partisan power, for instance, using it to bludgeon the opposition with. But when it comes to constitutional issues, like Joe Biden has signed executive orders that many of them, people might argue, are unconstitutional. The federal government is forcing uh, uh, people to do things, uh, mandating things right. that the federal government has no business mandating. Then there's the right. border question. There's right. the sanctuary cities question. There's a whole litany of these issues. Right. Uh, and, and now we're back even to the First Amendment on this. Right. So so what do you think about the Democrats' uh, rediscovery, this renaissance of constitutionality <laughs> by the Democrats? Right. right. No, I think that's a, that's a very good point. Uh, it, it is a, it is fascinating how they suddenly discovered that this constitution, which was all created by white men, 
uh, slave owners, uh, moreover, is now suddenly becomes this, uh, you know, this hallowed uh, document and, uh, you know, with, with, that they worship. Well, of course, it's a, it, a complete uh, fraud. Um, and the First Amendment is something that uh, the Democrats never paid very much attention to. Because remember, during the uh, Russiagate and during the first impeachment, they again denied uh, the right of the president or anybody else uh, the, the basic First Amendment right to seek out information. So we can always say, oh, he was, he was, you know, he was trying to get uh, Ukraine to interfere uh, in the uh, U.S. election. But even if, even if you accept the, the democratic argument in the first impeachment uh, at its face, which is he, was, he went to uh, President Zelensky of Ukraine in order to dig up dirt on uh, Joe Biden, You'd have to say, yeah, and he has every right to do so. And every American has every right to seek out information from any source at all. That's, that's it. I mean, you know, you don't have a right to slander someone. Uh, you know, you don't have a right to uh, smear and, and lie about them. I mean, then you have, then people have, have a right to um, uh, seek legal remedies against lies. But when it comes to seeking out information, whether it's from Russia, Ukraine, or whoever, then everybody has a right to that. I mean, you know, you can, you know, you can get on the phone to Putin and say, hey, can you tell me, um, you know, anything you can, uh, which is derogatory about, you know, my political opponents. I mean, that, that's covered by the First Amendment. I mean, that was something that was written about by uh, Justice Brennan, who said that the First Amendment entails the right to seek out information from any source, that the government is cannot issue any prior restraint on the seeking out um, uh, information. So, yeah, absolutely, the Democrats have, have, have very little um, time for that. And then, as you said about these executive orders, I mean, what is he saying? He's saying that the U.S. government will no longer enforce the laws. Well, he's supposed to be the chief executive. I mean, he's supposed to be uh, the guy... Uh, responsible for enforcing the laws. Well, how does he just get to decide that he's no longer going to enforce the laws? Because, I mean, you have legislatures, they have passed laws. And it's up to the executive to enforce the laws that the legislatures have passed. If you don't like those laws, then you should, um, you know, enact new laws. But you can't just simply say, well, we're not going to enforce the laws anymore. We're not going to deport people. Uh, we're, we're, we're not going to uh, stop people from coming uh, into the country. Well, I mean, the legislatures have passed laws about that. And, and, but, you know, Biden is saying, no, we're not, we're not going to bother enforcing laws. You know, to somebody else, might say, well, that sounds impeachable. I mean, if, if, the, if the person responsible for enforcing the laws is saying that he's not going to enforce the laws, then that's an impeachable offense. He's clearly... Uh, violating his uh, oath of office. But again, you know, you're not going to get anything like that from uh, the media. Um, so you know, any time the Democrats bring up the, this, this kind of uh, constitutional argument, it is all a complete fraud. I mean, let's imagine it was the other way around. Let's imagine uh, it was a Democrat and we had a, a Black Lives Matter uh, riot um, and you know, and, and, and how would the media respond? And, and let's say the Republicans decided to uh, go ahead and impeach uh, the Democratic president. 
Well, the media was saying, no, I mean, you know, he's, he's entitled, you know, the, the president is entitled to uh, address grievances. He's entitled to uh, incite protests. He's, you know, he's entitled to all of those things. We know perfectly well that all of this, you know, you know, that he's not in, that Trump is not entitled to um, in, incite uh, protests. He's, you know, he's, he's supposed to just accept everything. You know, the Democrats would never, never uh believe that if it was the other way around and we know just in terms of trump was protesting the 2020 election we know that the democrats protested the 1960 uh, in, in 1969 they challenged the certification in 1969 they challenged it in 2001 they challenged it in 2005 challenged it in 2017 they've always done it every election in which the republicans have won the democrats have challenged it and have challenged the certification so now suddenly, you know, the, the you know the, the media is sort of clutching their pearls. Oh my God, you're challenging this this holy, uh, sacred process of the American election uh, system. You know how how dare you? This is you know you know uh, men and women have, have shed blood for this glorious election, um, and you know and, and we we know this. I mean, this we know that the Democrats would would do, would do exactly what Trump and, and the Republicans did if it goes the other way around. And we can be sure that if the 2024 election results in the Democrat defeat, the Republicans win, then we will have the, an immediate challenge uh, to the legitimacy of the election. Putin, you know, if, or whoever, the Russians, the Russians stole the election. And then after that, they're going to start uh, challenging the certification by coming up with all sorts of bogus stories about Russians' um, uh, nefarious activities in this state or that state. We know all this. And we know that when that happens, the media will again be uh, banging the drum. Yes, my God, the Russians interfered in our election. We, you know, we can't possibly allow this certification to go forward. Exactly what they did in, in 2017. So, you know, we just know that this is such a cynical uh, political exercise. Uh, so, <laughs> I mean, it's, it, I mean, it's kind of funny. I mean, we, you know, we have to pretend to take it seriously, but you know, but essentially, um, Democrats are playing a, uh, a a very nasty, I think, probably quite dangerous game. Uh, but unfortunately, too many Republicans are allowing themselves to be um, manipulated by the Democrats into going along with it. And, and I might add, if, if the shoe is on the other foot, you can be absolutely certain that there'll be uh, battalions of uh, Antifa oh, yeah, soldiers exactly. wearing Black modified kitchenware on their Exactly, head and, yeah. yeah, that's and right. firing that's right. Uh, whatever fireworks into the White House, absolutely. like we saw yeah. in, in July of just this past year. The National yeah. Guard had to be actually called out uh, because the, the White House perimeter was being sieged. They even burned a historic church, St. John's Church, I think. Of course, that was all glossed over by the media. Right. No problem there. Right. I was I remember, also, yeah, uh, and that's right. And remember when they attacked Trump for essentially calling out the National Guard. You know, that was, oh my God, you're bringing, you're calling out the fascist jackboots. I think Nancy Pelosi used some sort of a phrase like that, the jackboot of thugs that he was calling out. Now he's attacking. Oh, why didn't Trump call out the National Guard earlier? Uh, so, so all all of this is entirely uh, cynical. Uh, and but you can also the Democrats will stick to their their man. So should you know uh, there be any impeachment move, 
against a Democrat president, boom, every single Democrat will vote for uh, for that uh, incumbent, just as every single Democrat voted uh, for uh, Bill Clinton and against impeachment um, in 1999. Yeah, so so let's just quickly look at the defense argument, um, what, what they're really, the case they're making here. Um, first of all, there's the most obvious one is that uh, the impeachment, according to the Federalist Papers, and, and that that is, again, amazing how this is being reinterpreted depending on which side of the aisle you're on, but that the impeachment is, is really a last resort for, quote, removing a president from office. So, of course, if the president is already out of office, then impeachment shouldn't apply. But it, not only that, the, the bar should be incredibly high. Uh, for impeachment. Otherwise, it becomes a political tool. And the, uh, the argument that the Trump's defense is making and that Republicans are making is that if you allow it to be a political tool this time, uh, then you're really opening the door for this to be a tit for tat right. uh, in perpetuity. And I think that's a, a pretty obvious argument. The bar has already been lowered for impeachment right. last year. So, I mean, right. this is even lower. <laughs> He's right, not right. even in office. So right. so that's that's one argument here. But getting to the actual uh, substance of it, uh, the, the there is the letter of the law uh, in terms of the U.S. Constitution uh, mm-hmm. and this process. Uh, there is the due the due process is is a right of every American, including uh, the president, of course, uh, yes. and the fact that he's a private citizen right now. Uh, and that if if this was to go through the House in a proper way, witnesses would have been called uh, before uh, February before uh, Joe Biden uh, assumed the presidency. So clearly that this was rushed through by the Democrats in order to get the ball rolling. Uh, They didn't have time to call witnesses and so forth. So there was no due process. He's being accused of a crime, which isn't going to be adjudicated in any court of law. Uh, It's merely done in a political uh, uh, setting here. Not only that, the judge in, in, in a normal impeachment trial would be Chief Justice Roberts, the Supreme Court Chief Justice. In this case, it's Patrick Leahy, uh, who is a rabid anti-Trumper and everything else. So a, a nemesis of the president is the judge. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's anything but a fair trial. So that's on the really the constitutional right side. Uh, and then you have the, uh, the the evidentiary point of whether this was incitement or not. Okay. To me, this is secondary process. Due process would come first, I think, in terms of the hierarchy of rulings, I might be mistaken on that. So whether whether when you get to the actual accusations and charges, to me that's secondary. Of course, the media is wanting to, you know, push that aside. Oh, they're making these process arguments, and the president's guilty of X, Y, and Z. So again, it's being inverted depending on what type, side of the political uh, paradigm you're on. Uh, and then there's the word insurrection. That's part of the incitement. Again, it's it's hyperbolic. That's down to interpretation. Uh, but then this is the interesting. There's no jurisdiction as well. And this is an argument that Trump's uh, defense team is making. Bruce Castor uh, and David Schoen probably made a more stronger argument, more passionate argument uh, than Bruce Castor made. Um, Castor got castigated, no pun intended, apparently by Donald Trump was furious, according to reports. I don't know how true that is. Uh, that the uh, windows were being blown out at Mar-a-Lago uh, from Donald Trump losing his temper as a result of the <laughs> opening statements. But so, what do you think about this? Uh, just quickly, uh, this no jurisdiction issue, uh, and also the issue of of due process, because I think those, in my opinion, might be the strongest 
cases, or they should be anyway, but go ahead, George. Well, that's a very good question. Now, if, if this were a proper trial, uh, those issues would be uh, front and center because you, you go uh, in any kind of a, a criminal uh, trial, you, you, you make a constitutional argument. You say, hey, this, this uh, uh, case is uh, based on an, an un unconstitutional uh, process. Uh, my client's um, Fifth Amendment uh, rights were violated. You know, he hadn't been read the Miranda uh, ruling. Um, his uh, Fourth Amendment um, uh, rights were violated. You know, this was unreasonable search and seizure. Um, and, you know, and, you know, so, and then, so you'd ask for the judge to uh, throw this out. And that, I think, you know, would, you know, you, you would do this. I mean, we've all seen those um, Dirty Harry movies where we're supposed to hate the, the liberal judge because the liberal judge says, well, they, you know, you know, Harry Callahan had no um, reasonable uh, cause to look into the trunk of the car and then find the, uh, the drugs. And so therefore uh, the perp walks. Um, and the, while, you know, yes, oh, that's all constitutional, you know, the, the, you know, we who watch these Dirty Harry movies, they say, yeah, but that's kind of unfair because this guy's a criminal and now he's actually used the all kinds of legalistic arguments uh, to walk. Um, so I think there is there is that danger, and I think that's why uh, the Democrats are playing on this. They say, okay, well, uh, you know, Trump is making this argument that this is unconstitutional, that his due process rights were uh, violated, but they're legalistic. Um, you know, he's still basically guilty. He's just using kind of constitutional protections uh, to get off. And that's why um, that guy that um, Raskin uh, wrote to Trump, he said that, well, you know, you better come and uh, testify at this uh, trial. And of course, Trump you know, did what anybody would do in his uh, circumstances. And no, I'm not going to do it. I mean, why, why should I help build your case for you? Because of course, no, nobody can be compelled to give evidence against himself. I mean, that's obviously, in, it's in the Fifth Amendment. Um, and, but it's true anywhere. I mean, the burden is always on the prosecution to make its case. But then when uh, Trump defense obviously made that point, uh, Raskin had the nerve to say, well, we will then draw a negative inference uh, as to your uh, refusal to testify. And that's what they're doing is saying, okay, the more you raise these uh, constitutional legal arguments, uh, the more guilty you must be because you're trying to hide uh, behind the Constitution. Uh, and of course, it's, it's an outrageous argument. It's a disgraceful argument. Um, but it's one that may be quite effective uh, to you know, the, the public at large, which does not really understand these sorts of issues and say, well, you know, okay, well, if, you know, if Trump is innocent, why can't he go and uh, testify? People make this case all the time, uh, not realizing that, hey, you, know, <laughs> you, know, you cannot be compelled to give evidence against yourself, and you cannot allow them to manipulate your testimony in such a way that they can then bring um, uh, perjury charges against you, which is the whole point. I mean, that's all they're really doing when they say, come and testify, that, that they can build uh, perjury cases against them. So. So that's it. So my feeling would be that, you know, he has a stronger case um, by raising the First Amendment issues. 
he can say what he like, you know, use his own words and say, at no point did I uh, incite violence. On the contrary, I, uh, I urged, uh, pe uh, you know, that they march peacefully to Capitol Hill. Um, at the moment that I heard that uh, the protests had somehow uh, devolved into violence, I put out a, um, a tweet message saying everybody has to go home. Um, uh, you know, there may also be um, a moment when he actually asked the National Guard to come in and, and to, uh, to, to bring, you know, the, 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 the violence to an end or, or the protests or riots to an end. Um, so, he, you know, that's, that would be an argument of saying, you know, that this, you just don't have any evidence so that I, I incited anyone. I was, you know, actually, I wanted a peaceful protest. And then, you know, what he could also do, I, I don't think he's going to do it, but I think that um, he could certainly do it, is say, look, I had a reasonable basis for thinking that the, uh, the certification process was wrong. I, you know, the, I, I, a lot of evidence uh, at my disposal saying that something very bad had happened uh, during this election. And he can cite, you know, the Time magazine article from last week. Um, you know, he can cite the, um, the, the reports, his Peter Navarro's reports. Then he can also cite the, uh, the lawsuit that was filed by Texas against uh, the, the four states. So I, think, um, uh, I think it was Arizona, Georgia, Wisconsin, um, uh, and Pennsylvania, and Michigan. I think it was five states. Uh, so he's got that. The, the, that was a, a big lawsuit that was joined by 18 other states. So he's got all the material that was in that lawsuit. You know, he's also got the lawsuit that was filed in Georgia about all the um, uh, shenanigans that went on in Georgia. So he says, look, I've got a ton of evidence here uh, to show that there was some very, very nefarious uh, activities that took place in this election. I had every reason to believe that the certification uh, was wrong, and I had every reason to uh, urge the um, the senators and the congressmen to delay uh, certifying the Electoral College. And, you know, the protests were the protests of people who were themselves outraged by an election that was not on the up and up. So I, I'd say that that was also a good line of defense. Now, you know, for lawyers, lawyers probably want to just stick to the first part and say, hey, let's just challenge the constitutionality and then let's just get this whole thing over and done with. And, and that, you know, might be a, a good way of going about it. You know, boom, we can move on four or five days. We have a vote. He wins. Thank you. Goodbye. Um, the problem with that is that there's a public perception. Public perception will be that, well, Trump has got something to hide. Which and I think that goes back to what I was saying about the Dirty Harry movies is that yeah the perp walks, but we feel hey but he's kind of guilty. I mean you know he, he did have the drugs in his car, <laughs> so I think that that's where the danger is if you take it to the very loyally approach. And uh, uh, Dave uh, Schoen, I believe came out uh, as did Bruce Castor. I mean they kind of put the real argument out. The political argument is that you're invoking talking to the Democrats, uh, the prosecution, you're invoking the 14th Amendment uh, right. that this president is abrogating his oath of office, which would bar him 
from running for president or running for public office uh, in the future. Okay, right. so that so that speaks to a political motivation, right? Um, and and it's that kind of explain yeah. George why they rushed the process uh, in late January to really get mm -hmm. this thing through. Um, it, it really only speaks to possibly uh, a political motivation there. Yep. Um, but that is that's the real yes. elephant in the room. And again, that get circles back to the the issue of is impeachment to be used in this political manner. Um, that's really lowering the bar of impeachment yeah. for future presidents. But go ahead. Right, right. No, I, I, it's a case of the punishment in search of a crime. So they knew the punishment um, ahead of time. So it's like the you know, the Red Queen in um, in Alice in Wonderland. You know, uh, you know, verdict before trial. So they they knew the um, they get the sentence before verdict, verdict before trial. So they knew ahead of time the goal that they wanted, which is. Uh, Trump would be uh, prevented from running for any public office again. And then they had to come up with uh, the crime uh, to justify that uh, punishment. Well, of course, <coughs> you know, the, the crime is, uh, is an, an absurdity, which is why um, the Democrats are using emotion uh, as a substitute for legal argument. So you're going to just, you know, Tear at the at the country, you know. You know, talk, we, we we talked about uh, Raskin's family tragedies, and then you can whip up the horror of what happened on uh, January the sixth, and all, and everyone was supposed to be terrified for their lives, and and so on. So that's what they're trying to do. They, they're basically trying to uh, substitute for legal argument, substituting emotion for uh, any uh, legal argument, and you know that. Is, is not an unsuccessful strategy because they are basically they, they've been given several hours on you know television to tear into Trump. I mean to smear Trump, you know, for, for everything, everything he has ever done. I mean that film that they showed yesterday. I mean it's all it's all doctored, and it you know it's a very slick production, but it was a doctored uh, film in order to uh, show Trump in the worst possible light. And people see this, and, uh, and and these things have an effect. And so, even if you know, Trump survives the uh, the impeachment vote, he has been smeared. I mean, he you know his reputation has been damaged, uh, and, and the people who voted for him, the people who supported him, his reputation being damaged. That's why the if you're going to defend Trump, you really have to defend him. I mean, you really have to you know attack this uh, this line of attack you know you really have to you know make a strong case on behalf of uh, Trump because what happened yesterday was very very ineffectual compared to what the Democrats did I mean David um, shown I mean he made some good legal arguments uh, but they, they they was never in, in any way as effective as uh, as what the Democrats did and the other guy Castor uh, he was a disaster. I mean, everybody agrees that, you know, what the hell was he talking about? I mean, you know, no, no one could even follow his argument. I mean, you know, this, this is supposed to be a, a top lawyer and he's, he's, he's just rambling and just free, you know, just free associational thinking. Uh, you, know, I, you know, you have to think that basically Castor was working for the other side. I mean, he, he seemed to be just sabotaging uh, Trump's defense. And it doesn't surprise me. I mean, there have been plenty of people who, who supposedly were hired by Trump, but who were really 
working against Trump. Um, you know, we, we think of um, Bill Barr or John Kelly or um, um, the um, McMaster and um, and the, what, what was the name of the, the defense secretary, the one, the... Um, the one uh, who Mattis, Mad Dog Mattis. Yeah, yeah Mad Dog Mattis, exactly. Yeah. The one who resigned out of disgust that uh, America was withdrawing from Syria, which wasn't. But so, you know, Trump has hired these people who were working deliberately against uh, Trump's policies. So I wouldn't be at all surprised if this lawyer you know, set out to sabotage Trump's case. I don't know. But, you know, as I was watching him, I thought, this guy's working for the other team. I mean, he's certainly not doing anything for his client. No, no, it, that definitely. Uh, he was rambling on about, uh, I got talking to a couple of people back home right. and et cetera. Yeah. But yeah. Um, I, I see a pattern, uh, though, George. I'm taking, I'm going to step back now and we're going to take the 35,000 foot uh, airline view of the situation. If you look back to the first impeachment trial, look at the timing of where we were at there. That was in the run up to the Democratic primaries. Joe Biden had not yet been anointed officially. They're still going through the motions of having primaries with 25 Democratic candidates. Uh, but yet the, the, the main thrust of the, the, the argument by uh, Democrats at the time, Adam Schiff, etc., was that Donald Trump was trying to eliminate his competitor. That's when the, the bell went off in my right. head saying, right. ah, Joe Biden is the anointed one. Yes and that my original thesis that the Democrats would never allow free competition uh, within their party, uh, as, as, as was the case with Hillary Clinton, uh, then that, that, that kind of confirmed my thesis there. But then I thought to myself, this is interesting. So the, the, they, they clearly were not very confident about any Democrat being able to defeat Donald Trump. So they went through this impeachment to physically get rid of yeah. Donald Trump. So uh, using political uh, mechanisms to eliminate the competition, to eliminate the opposition via fiat, via all these various techniques, anything but an election yeah. uh, or anything but due process. So uh, so again, uh, and, and Joe Biden had a major scandal that needed to be buried in the Ukraine. This yeah. is beyond any doubt. Um, and it's not just his son, Hunter. It's Joe Biden himself the things that he did as vice president. Yep. And not only yep. that, the coup that was orchestrated by the Obama administration in Kiev, the yep. putsch uh, in February of 2014, I yep. believe, that th that needed to be covered up because that was a dirty operation. And everything that came after that was incredibly uh, you know, terrible in terms of what, the, what that administration did. What Joe Biden himself did in the Ukraine yep. running point on policy, which a lot of people weren't didn't know that until after yes. that he was basically in charge of that portfolio, and that would reflect badly uh, on his uh, aspirations to run in 2020. So they, it was a twofold strategy by the Democrats, George, which was to bury the Ukraine, uh, accuse Trump of doing something that Joe yep. Biden actually did and yep. and admitted he did on camera, right. uh, and then eliminate the opposition, eliminate the surging populist maverick uh, that was most certainly going to uh, run very strong in 2020. And here we are again, George, another impeachment. And the, the clearly the motivation is political. It's to uh, not to defend the hallowed grounds of the Capitol or anything like that. It's literally to eliminate 
Donald Trump from running for office uh, in 2024. So we're seeing uh, the you know the bypassing of democracy using PR, using demagoguery, using the eliminating the filibuster, uh, adding DC and Puerto Rico as states, mm-hmm. packing the court, opening the southern border to turn Texas blue. Yep. And on and on and on. Anything but straight up democracy. Yep. Uh, it's kind of a, to me, a overwhelming indictment of the mentality and the the, the ruthlessness of the, this uh, th- this party and its operatives. And um, and and this is just to me another example of it here. Um, it's it's using the levers. It's using the mechanisms. It's it's. Uh, perverting the constitutional process, if you will, uh, in order to game what is meant to be a free and fair elections, the thing that they're accusing Trump of, uh, you know, desecrating uh, with with challenging the, the, the November election still. But but uh, your, your, your thoughts on this overall kind of atmosphere? <clears throat> I think you sum- summarized it perfectly. Um, I think that the um, impeachment actually... Uh, changed the uh the dynamics whereby um instead of uh you know the media or the public uh trying to find out what exactly was biden doing in the ukraine why exactly uh was biden uh seeking to oust a uh chief prosecutor in ukraine the chief prosecutor who was investigating burisma the company on which his son uh, had a directorship. So rather, you know, so here's uh, Biden withholding public money, U.S. public money, in order to get somebody fired who was investigating his son. So that could be an important issue that would be um, looked at during an election. No, we we didn't have that. Um, You know, or indeed even going before that, um, why exactly did his son get this extremely lucrative uh, position in Ukraine when his dad uh, was the Obama administration's point man on Ukraine? Um, uh, and again, like, and, and, and then again, the same thing happened with his son in China. So rather than have that, the suddenly the impeachment turned it around and suggested that there was something nefarious about Trump trying to find out what it was that the Bidens uh, were doing in Ukraine. And that's it. And then everybody started repeating, oh, this is terrible. This is terrible. He's trying to uh, seek interference in the U.S. political system uh, from another country. And and then, well, he's the president of the United States. He should want to find out uh, if any, any politicians at all were compromised and maybe involved in illegal activities in Ukraine. But the impeachment actually uh, reversed it and suddenly even suggesting that there was anything uh, untoward about Biden's activities in Ukraine was totally reprehensible. You know, haven't anyone make any, any, any such uh, argument? Of course, Biden was a fighter against corruption. I mean, that, that, that's his record. And again, um, that, uh, the, you know, that became the, 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 um, the, the, the mantra. Uh, really, this is breaking new ground. Historically, uh, impeachments are normally happening during the tenure 
of the uh, target of the impeachment, the president of the United States. And in this case, uh, for the first time ever, it's happening after the fact for uh, a U.S. president. And so there's a lot of political uh, motivations at play. And we've been discussing some of the various arguments, uh, both on the prosecution side, the Democrat side, but also uh, on the defense side, uh, on the Republican side, with our guest, uh, George Samueli. And uh, the, the hypocrisy, of course, is is pretty obvious uh, when you sort of look at this um, in any kind of objective fashion, <laughs> but uh, it, it, no one can claim objectivity uh, in this hyper-partisan environment, George. And this is one of the other problems uh, that we're running into right now is that uh, if, if anybody does make uh, an objective argument, <laughs> they're, they're being right. accused of being um, a partisan themselves. Um, right. It's almost like there's no common ground. And uh, if, if you think about the Constitution or the rule of law uh, or the Federalist Papers as a ballast uh, of with which to keep the, 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 the keel and to keep the ship steady, uh, for the Republic of the United States, that it's almost like it's it's really being ground down right now. Uh, and this has really been happening over the last four years. It's really exposed some of the worst um, sort of um, uh, partisan uh, characteristics of, of the political system. Certainly, I had not seen that uh, in my lifetime. Uh, I'm sure my, my parents have seen quite a bit of it through the uh, 60s uh, and early 70s. But from your experience, George, has anything come close to it, uh, what we're seeing right now? Um, no, I, I, don't, I don't think so. I mean, you know, if you think about to, uh, Watergate, um, you, know, you know, I mean, you know, there's a sort of Nixon, of course, is a very demonized figure now. Uh, and everyone just only speaks negatively about him. But at the same time, I mean, you'd have to say that there were an awful lot of things that happened uh, in the uh, what's Watergate and the sort of the the, the onslaught against Nixon that was uh, uh, encouraged within the government and by the media supporters that has a certain resemblance uh, to what had happened um, today. I mean, uh, I mean, without getting into the sort of the the minutiae of Watergate. I mean, there was one thing when those Watergate burglars that were caught, they, they went to trial. And then you had this uh, judge, Judge John Sirica, who said, well, I don't believe their stories. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to hit them with a, with a huge sentence because I need to find out what happened. And so these burglars were hit with sentences of 25 to 30 years in prison. Now, you know, just in order to get them to talk about, you know, what, what they were doing, you know, who was behind them or whatever. Well, 25 to 30 years for the, the offense of breaking and entering is cruel and unusual punishment. But again, no one really cared very much about that because, hey, it's, you know, you're on the right side, you're against Nixon and, uh, and, and so on. So it, it, there's a kind of thing that, that when uh, there is this mad rush, a kind of a, a hysterical mob that wants to, to destroy someone, then, you know, all sorts of cons constitutional legal niceties are ignored. And there is a, a, an analogy between Nixon and Trump, whatever the differences between their individual personalities, uh, both of them were populist. Um, Nixon had a, had a real knack of speaking above 
the the heads of the Washington elite, the media, um, the you know, Congress, and so on. I mean, he, he managed to uh, address. I mean, uh, the public. I mean, you know, the, the, his famous the silent majority. You know, that's what he was about. He said, "This is you know, I, you know, I, I have a you know an understanding." uh with the uh, with with the public you know i'm with the regular guys against the washington elites and nixon did generate enormous amount of hatred because he was a a populist again he didn't have trump's uh, flamboyance um but he was a populist and his populism was successful in a, in a way that was more so than trump i mean he he won the biggest landslide in us history i mean remember this was a person who you know, was regarded, you know, conventional wisdom had it that you know he was charisma challenged. You know, he wasn't the most um, appealing and warm, charming person. Yet he won a forty-nine state landslide, and and that was because he had a certain knack of uh, appealing to the public and appealing to the kind of the blue-collar support that the Democrats had just taken for granted as belonging to them. But he actually managed to address it. And I think that, you know, there was there was a conspiracy to bring Nixon down. Um, you know, it originated, you know, within the FBI and the CIA. Remember, who was Deep Throat? Deep Throat was Mark Felt, you know, who was really the, the guy in charge of the worst era of uh, in, in FBI history under J. Edgar Hoover. You know, this is this this guy was no angel. Um, but he hated Nixon because Nixon didn't like Hoover. He was also passed passed over for promotion to get Hoover's job. So you know these these are the people who were trying to uh, bring down Nixon. And so there's some of that what we're happening uh, in the case of Trump. Trump made a lot of people nervous. You know, however ineffectual his attack was, because I think he Trump was um, swept up by a movement. That he probably didn't fully understand himself, but he was swept up by it. And people, for some reason, saw Trump as speaking to them, as being their representative, as their voice against uh, the powers that be. And you know, Washington elites didn't like that, and they're the ones with the power. And they said they have more power than the president of the United States. And uh, it, it took some doing for. Silicon Valley, just to say, well, we're going to deplatform. He's the president. We're going to deplatform him. That's it. And there's nothing that the president can do about it. You know, we're with the the ones who have the power. And so, you know, we suddenly realize that Trump is well. Who really does have power in America? It's not not unlike what happened in Nixon. You know, he just a 49 state landslide, but he didn't really have power. You know, it was the it was, it was the, the permanent Washington that had the real power. But but at least they didn't impeach uh, uh, Nixon a after the fact. <laughs> no, that's that's a very that's very which, interesting. Which, exactly, it, it brought it to an end. His resignation brought the impeachment process to an end. Exactly. Yeah. So I mean, you, you actually touched on what I think is is the fundamental point here of all this, George. Um, you know, on on the defense side here, Trump side, they're arguing, they're making logical arguments. They're they're talking about fact. They're they're invoking the rule of law. Uh, in constitutional law, the Federalist Papers, um, etc., and then on the other side, you have an emotional uh, demagoguery-laced um, argument, uh, very emotive. That's just you know uh, the uh, accumulation of animus uh, for Trump over the last five years uh, coming out. So there's kind of to me, 
what you said about Nixon and what we're seeing here, it's the swamp versus populism. It's the permanent state versus populism. You know, uh, Donald Trump could, uh, if, I mean, if he wanted to be uh, Huey Kingfish Long for the nation, uh, he could be. Uh, he could go a lot further, I think, than than he does. But it's even as as restrained as Trump is a lot of the time. It's too far. It's too far for the establishment uh, here. So is not is it maybe the thing that this is an autoimmune reaction by the establishment against uh, populism? And this isn't anything new, George. This has happened before. But your your thoughts? Exactly. On, on no, that. that that's exactly right. Uh, populism is the uh, absolutely the place where you don't go uh, in America because uh, you go there, you know, you, you're liable to end up either, you know, with a bullet or, um, you know, th thrown out of office. Remember, I mean, George Wallace was a populist. I mean, you know, leave, leave aside the, the, the issues of uh, race. Uh, he was an economic populist, uh, much as uh, Huey Long was. Um, you know, he, he ends up um, uh, shot. Uh, Bobby Kennedy was was a populist like in in '68 again, so it's a dangerous path uh, to go down on when if, when you start challenging very powerful interests. And I think you know what what we clearly realized, and I think you know that Time Magazine article illustrated is that there were very very powerful interests that were determined to stop Trump. I mean, we're talking about a Chamber of Commerce, we're talking about Wall Street. Uh, we're talking about the leaders of organized labor rather than just simply ordinary workers, but the leaders of the AFL-CIO. Um, you have uh, the, the powerful lawyers, you know, they, who uh, worked in the, um, the, you know, the, the white shoe law firms. Uh, they were all determined to stop Trump. And, you know, and Trump, you know, again, maybe in an effectual way, did challenge. He, you know, he, he, he did challenge uh, certainly uh the the military industrial complex uh he did challenge uh wall street um and you know, when that happens he did provoke um an attack and and you know he also challenged the kind of identity politics that had uh you know that that had been dominant in uh in, in the united states for the last few decades uh you know he, you know he also you know, attack the judicial system. I mean, you know, no one really before Trump had brought all these judges into question the way he did. I mean, we, you know, people say, oh, well, the, you know, U.S. judicial system, it's all, you know, fair. Yeah, you know, they might go wrong here and there. You know, this this person, you know, the, this minority, you know, get a rough deal or whatever. But Trump just made a full-blown attack against uh, the, the judicial system. I mean, you know, he, he just calls judges clowns. Uh, you know, they're, they're just they're political hacks, which, of course, they are. But no president had ever done this. You're supposed to show respect for uh, these sorts of people. He didn't do it. I mean, you know, you know, the things he said about the FBI and the CIA, again, you know, he's calling the most base fundamental institutions of the United States into question. So when you do that, you know, you, you, you're walking a dangerous path. And I think that... Um, there was a conspiracy to uh, to get Trump out. Um, now, if he's going to come back, he's going to have to figure out how he's going to do it, how he's going to challenge uh, uh, powerful interests. I mean, he would have to he'd have to build a movement. He'd have to build a movement of people who think like him, 
he didn't really do that. He decided, well, now I've won the election, so I'm going to hire all these Washington insiders who uh, will, you know, come around to my way of thinking. Well, that didn't happen. He did hire Washington insiders, and they pursued their own agenda. And uh, when the time came, they were all ready to put the boot in. Every single one, every single person who worked for uh, Trump uh, left, and then immediately came out with books and interviews telling what an awful person Trump was and you know how he's the worst thing that has ever happened to America. Um, so, so yes, that's what happens. I mean, if you're, you're an outsider and, uh, and then you decide to staff your administration with insiders, well, you, know, they, you, end, up, uh, you, know, you end up where Trump is. I think uh, only Ben Carson uh, is probably one of the only like loyal to the end Everybody else, uh, was yeah, I, th ready. I think I think that's right. He's, I'm thinking Ben Carson. Is there anybody else? Um, uh, it's difficult to say. Mark Meadows, uh, Mark, yeah, Mark Meadows, Meadows was, yeah. was very loyal. In fact, Mark Meadows made an interesting statement, uh, in the media in the last 24 hours saying that uh, Donald Trump had asked for 10,000 national, right? Guards. Yeah, I saw, I saw that too. Yeah, yeah. if that's documentable, that's uh, exactly certainly right. That yeah. would be a smoking gun that would crop, you know, would put exactly. the whole thing to an end. The obvious thing here, George, with, with what happened on January. Sixth is that the D.C. police, uh, for all intents and purposes, stood down. I've been to the Capitol before when there's a concert or an event on the front lawn, and they, they have double barriers put into place. You could never get that close to the Capitol steps, right. even in normal times. And but for some reason, uh, 50,000 people were allowed to butt up against that building right. uh, while they were actually doing uh, the certification of right. the electoral votes. It's not as if people couldn't see it coming. Clearly, the president, uh, Donald Trump at the time, did see that it was coming. And is, of course, they knew that there was going to be a crowd. He was going to be involved um, in the sort of uh, demonstrations, as it were, uh, giving his speech earlier, but the, but there's no such thing as a smoking gun uh, with with this media unless it's the the, the gun that they want to see smoking. Right. Um, right. But the uh, besides the arguments that the Capitol is no longer a safe space, that that's all <laughs> turning a DC into a college campus, uh, effectively turning the country into a college campus um, with Facebook community standards right. rules now. Uh, there's another last argument, and we, we will kind of leave it here. We've gone way over time, but I really appreciate it, George, uh, sure. because everything that you've fun. Yeah, had really to say is yeah. absolutely crucial on this issue. The, the last argument is made by Technofog on Twitter. Is somebody I follow. Uh, he's actually a, a lawyer, fantastic forensic uh, document analyst, and he uh, published this. Uh, the title of his recent article here on Substack is um, on being judged by the guilty. And he said, besides the jurisdictional argument uh, against impeachment, besides the evidentiary argument against impeachment, there's a moral argument. And that how could you be judged um, by uh, an organization, a group that itself is, a guilt, is proven to be guilty and corrupt and exhibit A on this, George, and we're going to circle back to this issue because I think it's actually uh, fundamental. Russiagate, yeah. uh, 2016 to 2021, it's actually still uh, going. And if you yep. think that we, we very easily that people forget the media, the Democratic Party's own role, this is even before the first impeachment trial. I mean, this thing is, it crosses every possible line right. that you can possibly cross the weaponization of the FBI 
Yep. I mean, we're not even going deep into the Obama's politicization of the DOJ and uh, the IRS and everything else, but yep. uh, that that is a kind of a moral argument. That's not being touched. It's yep. not being spoken of. Yep. Uh, you talk about QAnon. I mean, we can go uh, expand on on QAnon, George. Uh, how long Russia has been going? I mean, this is people are calling it Blue Anon because this is the Democrats. A version of QAnon is really Russiagate, yeah. but the implications yeah. of Blue Anon are actually quite serious. Yeah. They're dictating U.S. policy at home and and abroad. Right. Um, but on, on this moral question, George, um, I know you can't make this argument in the Senate trial, and and the Republicans won't make it either because many of them are on board with Russiagate as well. But uh, th- this really speaks to I think the deep corruption the deep crisis that we're at politically right now but go ahead no that's exactly right and it's something i've thought about as well that everything about russiagate and the outrageous uh activities uh that were um indulged in by the obama administration uh spying on uh the opposition presidential campaign um attempting to entrap uh members of the opposition campaign uh coming up with these uh bogus fraudulent lying charges like the logan act trying to use the logan act against an incoming national security advisor um all of this sort of the the uh, if you remember just in the case of michael flynn they you know they they, they essentially continually rewriting the 302s the records of the interviews with michael flynn to make it seem uh that he was lying the fact that you know michael flynn was prosecuted for supposedly lying to the fbi when uh he hadn't lied to the fbi it was he hadn't lied to the fbi because you know you know they were talking about sanctions he was talking about the uh, expulsion of um, uh, the diplomats. Two quite different things, because Obama imposed two uh, different uh, forms of punishment on the Russians. And what Flynn was talking about with the uh, Russian ambassador, Sergei Kislyak, was the expulsion of the diplomats. So when he was asked, did you discuss sanctions? He said, no, I didn't discuss sanctions. We were talking about the, uh, uh, the expulsion of the diplomats. But essentially, he was tricked uh, into uh, into pleading guilty. I mean, he was tricked, first of all, into having an interview with the FBI, which he thought was just simply a kind of a, a friendly background check chat. He, he didn't think that essentially they were, they were trying to entrap him. And we know that, they, that the, the only purpose of that interview was to entrap uh, Michael Flynn so that they can then uh, prosecute him. So we, we know all this. We know that this was all instigated at the highest level of the uh, uh, Obama administration. We know about that guy, um, Kleinsmith. I mean, the, you know, what did this, Ke- this Kevin Kleinsmith, uh, you know, what did he do? He, you know, he worked at the Department of Justice. He deliberately um, forged an official document. He knew this was a lie. It was an official document, but he forged it in order to uh, for it to say something the opposite of what uh, what the, the CIA had actually said. The CIA had said that Carter Page had worked for us. So he forged it to say Carter Page didn't work for us. Now, you know, it's hard to think of anything a more serious uh, 
crime than that, you know, you're forging official documents, the guy walks with a $200 fine. So we see this, this, the, the ghastliness of this uh, uh, justice system. Um, everything, that, and this was all instigated by the Obama people, many of whom were now you know, happily ensconced with cushy jobs in the uh, Biden administration. And yet all that has just been forgotten. And even the, you know, the very fundamental charge that they had made, that Trump colluded with Russia to steal the 2016 election, that's still regarded by much of the media as being true. That's still, you know, they, they still hold that that, that is true. <clears throat> so amidst all the talk about how dare you question the uh, integrity of a U.S. election, um, we are. Well, you've been doing it for four years when it came to the 2016 election. You, you know, you call, you know, you, you challenge that. And even today, I saw an article on Politico uh, written by Natasha Bertrand, who um, has been one of the ardent uh, Russia gators. Uh, who, and the, uh, the thrust of the article was that, well, now Biden has access to the transcripts of the telephone calls between. Trump and Putin, and maybe he's going to release them. And now we're going to find out about what nefarious deals were struck between Trump and Putin. And, and then you think, well, you know, Trump didn't do anything, anything at all to uh, help Russia. Uh, we know that one of the first acts of the Biden administration was to sign a five-year extension of the New START agreement in which uh, the American side had abandoned every single one of uh, uh, Trump's uh, demands. You remember Trump had said one-year extension, uh, freeze on uh, Russia's um, uh, nuclear hardware, uh, and China must be uh, involved in any future negotiations. Every single one of these demands, uh, the Biden administration has abandoned. And yet still, the media report, oh, nefarious secret deals between uh, Trump and Putin, well, you know, the, <laughs> the most obvious evidence is goes against it. But that, that, that's it. So that's still the official. They will go on repeating that there was some, some secret uh, negotiations going on between Trump and Putin. You never tell us what it is, what it is they agreed on, what, what, was, you know, what was the outcome of any of this. That doesn't matter. You just create the suspicion. And then you just keep repeating it and repeating it that there was some suspicious uh, uh, friendship between the two of them. You know, facts don't really matter at all. I mean, it's it's just you know you know you, you just keep repeating the lie over and over again, and then you know people say, okay, well maybe maybe there was something going on between Trump and Putin. Yeah, and uh, I, I have a Russian bot right here, George. <laughs> this is actually this this is controlling this whole broadcast right now. This was issued by the Kremlin. Uh -huh. itself, just to, just to let you well, know. Well, that's right, because you, you had a call earlier from Vladimir Putin himself, who's just, you know, you know told you, keep up the good work, uh, Patrick, keep undermining the U.S. Uh, system. But that's what we want you to do. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the biggest conspiracy theory, officially sanctioned, made it into U.S. policy. Uh, they're sanctioning people left, right, and center based on the, uh, the conspiracy theory, if you will, that... Uh, uh, the Russians installed Donald Trump into the White House effectively yep. in 2016. That's never been walked back. No. Um, there's been no. books written about it, endless books. In fact, that to, in my mind, that's one of the political uh, motivations that's keeping Julian Assange 
uh, in the position that he's in right now in Belmarsh prison, you know, uh, is because of that. It's because of the, 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 the pervasiveness of that, that idea uh, that dominates U.S. foreign policy. It, it, it informs NATO yeah. policy as well. I mean, we can, right. we can joke about it on one hand, uh, but on the other hand, it is quite serious. Um, and I think personally, it's, it's a bigger threat to U.S. national security, yeah. to our political system than anything. And, and it's even worse if it's being used to empower uh, agencies like the NSA, like the CIA, uh, right. to bypass the Constitution and to infringe on people's civil yeah. liberties and rights. I mean, if, if you compare that to QAnon, which is really an internet fringe subculture, the yeah. sort of thing that was birthed out of 4chan and Reddit. Right. And, you know, it doesn't have any official status to, despite right. what people say, oh, the, whatever her name is from Florida, some uh, freshman uh, congressman right. that she sided with QAnon theories or whatever. Uh, that that That's not formulating U.S. policy right. and it's not framing the domestic uh, trajectory of, uh, of of u.s right. politics but russia gate is yes. it still yeah. is after um after four years but I'll, yeah. I'll give you the floor for your final thoughts on on this and what do you think is going to happen as well george uh in the next couple of days with the impeachment what direction do you think this is going to go right now just uh you know a coda to your what you said is uh you know to judge who has real power anywhere is you know who whom can you attack and whom can't you attack? The fact that you can attack Trump with impunity, you can deplatform him, you can say what you like about him, the worst possible uh, things, and there are no repercussions, means he doesn't really have very much power. The, the fact that uh, you can't really uh, attack uh, Obama, the Obama administration, uh, Biden, you know, if you if you start bringing up uh, Hunter Biden, you get deplatformed. Remember that was that was a crucial uh, piece of intervention by the uh, big tech in the election when they prevented the dissemination of news about Hunter Biden's laptop. You know, so you know why did they do that? Well, they did it uh, because. You know, that, that's where the power lay. You know, they, they knew that the power lay with the Democrats, with Biden. And so, therefore, we don't uh, publish anything negative about that. So that, that gives you an idea. So when you said about QAnon, who cares about QAnon? You can say what you like about QAnon. Nobody even knows what it is, to be honest. Um, so you can just make up anything you like about it. And, of course, you know, you know to uh, you know, draw, draw out the, the circle in full, uh, there is no question that we will hear a lot more about the supposed links between Russia and uh, the uh, domestic terrorists, these right-wing uh, American uh, nationalists, these right-wing uh, white supremacists. You know, they're all in cahoots with uh, Moscow. Of course, you know, if you ever ask, well, what's the evidence that there's any link between them, you can, you can forget that. You know, instead you'll get long, long articles in the New York Times uh, with people talking on background, telling us, well, we, we have a, uh, we've uncovered an awful lot of connections between the Kremlin and, uh, and QAnon. We can't, of course, disclose what they are, but rest assured, we, we've definitely uh, onto on them. So, so, yeah, that's it. You know, so you, you, you managed in, in one uh, fell swoop, you, you keep going after Russia and you go after the so-called domestic terrorists um, uh, 
in, in the United States. Uh, and as you say, that's that's a that's a dangerous business. You know, Russia is not in the mood anymore. I mean, the, R the Russians have kind of there's, there's a change in tone, you know, from the Russian leadership. They they just don't want to hear any more of these accusations, and they're sick to death of being used uh, as a kind of a whipping boy in American domestic policy. So, uh, you know, if you listen to the things that Lavrov says. Uh, you listen even to what Zaharova, the uh, foreign uh, ministry's uh, spokeswoman, says. They are just not in the mood anymore. So you know any any of this uh, nonsense, you know, where oh, you know, the Russians are you know involved with domestic terrorism. They're going to react very negatively, and I think that is, is you know, we, we've already seen news reports that uh, the Americans are expanding their presence in Syria. I think that's that's likely to lead to some kind of a confrontation with the Russians. You know, again, the Russians are just not in the mood to just to uh, you know bend over and you know and, and disappear. You know, they, they think, hey, we achieved what we achieved in Syria. We're not going to allow the Americans essentially to take it away from us. So you know, the, this, as you said, the Russia gate is um, the, the the there's a real danger of leading to a more serious um, uh, confrontation. As for the, the future of the impeachment, I mean, I, I tend to think that they're going to move and try to wrap it up as quickly as possible. As we were discussing earlier, it's not really to the Democrats' advantage to start bringing in witnesses, because then, then the Trump people are going to bring witnesses, and that could be very embarrassing for them. I mean, <clears throat> if, if they start... Uh, citing all the various um, demagogic statements by very Democrats, you know, how they were encouraging violence. If they bring up the issue of, um, you know, why didn't, why was there no uh, proper uh, policing on January the 6th in anticipation of, um, you know, large scale demonstrations in Washington? Was there an order to stand down? You know, who issued that order? If you start bringing things like that in, it's, you know, it's going to be very embarrassing. Uh, for the Democrats. So I think the Democrats were just, you know, I, I think, I mean, you know, who knows, something may have happened, but they will make their emotional pitch, they'll make their uh, as much, you know, they're trying to throw as much dirt as possible uh, on Trump. The, the the Trump people will make their legalistic constitutional argument. Uh, I don't think it's it, it will be anything like as effective as the Democrats' argument. And then there'll be a vote. And I would imagine, you know, Trump will be acquitted again, probably something like 43, 44 uh, Republicans will vote uh, for uh, Trump. And, and then that, that'll be the end of it. Uh, what happens then, of course, is interesting. Does Trump launch uh, his own political movement? Uh, will he step aside and decide that, well, maybe I'll just allow uh, my son to take over as the sort of the, the heir apparent to Trumpism? Um, I don't know, you know, because he's kind of disappeared. So we don't know because he's no longer on Twitter. We don't know, you know, what he's really thinking. Um, he doesn't seem that pugnacious. I mean, the fact that he tolerated such an ineffectual defense would suggest that he's, he still seems a little shell-shocked about everything that happened subsequent to the election, you know, from, you know, the way the you know, the, the, the way, you know, the courts ruled and so on. And then, of course, January the 6th. So he may not be in the mood 
to get back in the arena, so to speak, and and uh, you know seek you know seek the presidency again. Uh, but I don't know. You know, you know, we'll we'll, we'll have an idea after he's acquitted uh, what his real thinking is. Yeah, it might even be a case, George, where uh, his his base, his uh, supporters, won't uh, allow any other uh, any other choice but that he runs. Uh, yeah, no, that's that's a very good point because the, the base is is stick, sticking by him. I mean, we, you know, uh, it's it's kind of surprising despite all the attacks. Um, this, you know, every single Republican who has gone against Trump in the impeachment has been subjected to censure, uh, threats of um, primary, um, uh, and you know, and uh, attacks from from you know their core constituencies. So the, basically, there's been no attacks on Trump at all. His his supporters have uh, stuck by him, and so that's I, I think that's a you know. Quite an interesting development. I mean, I think that his base do feel that he has been wrongfully treated, that what has happened to him is an injustice. And and I think that's, and particularly this trial will obviously continue. There will without question be a lot of sympathy for him. I mean, there, there, was, there is going to be that the sense that this is manifestly unfair, what is, what is being done to him. Um, but again, I, I it's hard to know exactly what he is thinking. I mean, you know, Trump's personality is one that he, he kind of bounces back. I mean, he's had many setbacks in his life uh, when he seemed like his everything was over for him. He managed to bounce back. I remember he was facing bankruptcy in 1991. Uh, it looked like his whole business was over. I mean, it was. I mean, it was his control of his business was taken away from him, uh, but he managed to uh, bounce back from that. So, you know, he may still do so. Of course. You know, he's 74 now. It gets harder to bounce back at 74 than at 44. But, um, you know, so, certainly, you know, he's not someone you can ever discount, basically. Yeah. No, without a doubt, without a doubt. So it'll be interesting. We'll see what the result is. As you say, George, uh, it's probably going to be an acquittal uh, if you're just going straight by the by the numbers. But then again, nothing can be... Uh, uh, for sure, in this crazy no. uh, political environment, so I wouldn't put all my money down anyway. No, no, absolutely not. I mean, the pe those who say, "Oh, oh, it's all in the bag; it's all a waste of time," because the, Repu the, the Republicans will, will stick by him. Nah, Trump never had too many friends in the uh, Senate, to be honest. Uh, he's, he's, you know, all, you know, those people like who are now in that forty-four uh, column. You know, has Mitch McConnell, uh, Lindsey Graham. Uh, Richard Burr. Uh, so these are not friends. I mean, these aren't you know loyal allies that he can count on. So uh, and you know so you know, you know he, he doesn't have. I mean, in in the House, I think he has a much more much stronger Trumpian constituency. I mean, I guess because you know you know they're closer to the the people because they have to run for election every two years. You know, senators it's only every six years. But he definitely has never had. Um, allies i mean you know like john thune you know is a you know you could name all of these uh marco rubio none of these people are exactly trumpian allies i mean you know they they, they if they thought it was to their advantage to to abandon trump and to vote to convict they would do so so they're all making little calculations now as to you know, what you know what's to their advantage
Do you, do you think it's possible that the last thing that just came in my head based on what you just said, George, do you think it's possible that the Republicans would throw Trump under the bus in order to allow this precedent of the politicization of impeachment to go forward and then use that after they take the House uh, in 2022, uh, that the, the GOP uh, House would then use this to impeach Biden or Harris or whoever is president then? Do you think that's a, a remote possibility, This that they will take on the politicization, the weaponization of impeachment? Well, it's an inter interesting question. I. I there may be some Republicans who think along those terms, but I, I don't think Republicans would do that. I mean, when they did it under Gingrich in the 90s toward Bill Clinton, remember, then they had a special counsel uh, who kind of, you know, he, he basically had, uh, you know, made, made it very difficult for them to do anything else. I remember uh, Kenneth Starr, had been appointed by Congress. So he wasn't working for the Justice Department in the way that special counsel these days are. So he had been appointed by Congress and he had submitted his report. And I think, I can't remember, was it nine felonies or 11 felonies that he charged Bill Clinton with? So the Gingrich Republicans really had very little room to maneuver. You kind of wonder whether they would really have gone ahead with the impeachment of Clinton if they didn't have um, Kenneth Starr's uh, report, uh, you know, and the pressure that, that came from that. Um, I, what I'm just saying is that the Republicans don't fight with anything like uh, the ruthlessness uh, with which the Democrats do. I mean, the Democrats absolutely don't hesitate. You know, they, they do it. I mean, they, they come along with impeachment. They, their vote is solid and they intend to win. Too many Republicans, you know, they, they want to be in the good graces of uh, the right people. You know, they, they, you know, they want to have good write-ups in the New York Times. They want to have, the, you know, uh, CNN to say nice things about them. They want to be invited onto CNN. Um, you, know, you know, they want the good and the uh, great and the respectable people who have nice parties to think well of them. The Democrats already have them, so they don't have to worry about that. So I think that's why... Um, you can always, you know, chop off, you know, at any time there's a, any, any kind of political crisis, you know, you can always take about 20% of the Republicans and get them to vote flip uh, on the side of the Democrats. So, uh, you know, do, will the Republicans then think, okay, now we're going to impeach Biden or Harris? Some of them might, they're not, but they're not going to get they're not going to get a majority in the House. I mean, you know, I mean, I dare say, you know, some of the Republican firebrand, like I think you mentioned Matt Gates, Jim Jordan, Devin Nunes. I mean, they, they, they'd be all for it. Uh, can they get, you know, 218 votes uh, to impeach? I have my doubts. <laughs> no, no. Then it would be just a case of them becoming the thing that they are decrying uh, right now. So we uh, that would be unfortunate if that ever did happen. But, you know, I'm not, again, counting anything out, George. But, no, I mean, uh, it's possible that there are Republicans who are thinking in those terms. Mm -hmm. But it, it's a very foolish thing because uh, all that will happen is that they, Republicans, will have lost. I mean, it's a big thing for their man, the Republican standard bearer, the, the, the one who led the Republicans to victory, uh, getting getting impeached and convicted and prevented from running again. It's a big humiliation for them. I mean, they're all... You know, essentially, they're all convicted for having followed him. So, 
so if they're making a calculation that, oh, well, yeah, but now down the road, we can do this. Well, forget that because, you know, you, you basically took a, a, a very bad beating now and no one's going to believe you that after this beating, you're going to bounce back and, and be ready to throw punches in, in two years time. You know, it's just, I, I, it's not the way the world works. Well, there's there's a lot to uh, certainly going to be a lot to unpack after next uh, Monday, George. Right. Uh, so we'll be keeping an eye on it, as I know yes. you will as well. Uh, before we go, George, just give a shout out about uh, your your you know your relatively new talk show, uh, the Gaggle yeah, with right. uh, Peter Lavelle. Yeah, the Gaggle. Yeah, that's right. It's the Gaggle uh, with Peter Lavelle. Um, so you can find it on YouTube. I think just put in the Gaggle and you'll find it on on YouTube. Uh, it's also on Rumble. So you can look for the gaggle on Rumble, and uh, we usually post something um, every day. So we have a you know a discussion you know um, about whatever uh, topic is uh, on the agenda, and I think it's quite entertaining. I'm sure uh, you'll find it entertaining, and so uh, absolutely you know look for us there. That we've already got about um, 260. Uh, videos up there so you can enjoy you know, you know a, lo a lot of discussion about all, all the things that have happened um you know over the past year you're very good they're very good you discuss especially on these type of topics right, exactly. um, with with u.s politics you got great guests on as well uh yeah. particularly like when your discussions with robert barnes are robert barnes he's great and i don't know whether you've had him on your show but he's he's always great yeah, incredibly informative, and yeah. we'll, it will definitely be a place to go for if you want to get uh, good insights on what's going on yeah. right now with the impeachment uh, yeah. in the next week or so. Uh, yes. Tune into George's uh, and his colleagues, The Gaggle. Uh, we'll yeah. try to leave a link to that as well uh, on our show page for this program for 21 Wire Live. But uh, thank you again, George. Well, thank uh, you, Patrick. Joining. It was a lot of fun. You know, you know, very, very interesting discussion. Thank you. Thank you. Well, uh, there he goes, ladies and gentlemen. That's George Samuele. Uh, he's a senior fellow at the Global Policy Institute. Uh, well, again, we'll put a link uh, to George's uh, chat show, The Gaggle, as well, under our show notes on YouTube, but also uh, up on 21stCenturyWire.com. And uh, keep an eye on us uh, this weekend. We have another edition of the Sunday Wire radio show. It's going to be going live uh, on ACR, the alternate current radio network, uh, this Sunday. So you can catch us there. And also Friday at the UK Column News. Uh, and that's a live program uh, for those of you who don't watch it. But that's uh, UK time, 1 p.m., Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Uh, I appear with Mike Robinson co-hosting uh, the Friday news program at the UK Column News. Uh, that's uh, incredibly uh, informative and great analysis on that program. Uh, those of you who watch it know all about it, I'm sure. Uh, and if you don't watch it, uh, we hope that you'll tune in for those two programs. And we'll have another very special edition of 21 Wire Live coming up maybe on the weekend. Uh, we've got a new uh, topic that we're going to unveil, uh, which we're going to be doing uh, a lot more work on uh, in the coming months and in the coming year uh, as well. And that's the issue of space and what's going on uh, in the lower Earth orbit and above uh, in terms of the militarization of it, and of course how this is going to affect us and affect geopolitics on the ground now. And that's something that we've been able to do because of your support. Now, we're all running a winter fundraising drive right now, uh, so those links to that as well 
uh, in the description box and at the bottom of our show page here at 21stCenturyWire.com. We'll hope that you support our work uh, for this program, the Sunday Wire, also our written work, our reporting at 21stCenturyWire.com. All of that is really people-powered, and so we really rely on your support. If you want to donate or subscribe and become a member at 21 Wire. TV. We hope that you will, uh, and we're working hard behind the scenes to uh, improve all of these programs and launch some new ones as well uh, going forward. So there's other things that we've got in the pipeline. But uh, thank you again for tuning in uh, to this very special impeachment edition of 21 Wire Live. We really appreciate you being with us, and uh, we will see you very soon, hopefully. So everybody out there, take care. Uh, All the best and uh, check us out on Friday uh, and Sunday. Again, all the best.